Good morning and welcome to the Minimalist Business Podcast with me, your host, Emma Lavelle. I've got church bells chiming in the background (laughs) and I am, as always, trying to record this before something, uh, something Spanish medieval village happens. So we are on the final day of the fiestas here. We have had bulls running through the streets. As you know, I'm a vegan. This is not my favourite way (laughs) to see my village. Um, Yeah, I feel like, I feel like, you know, when you see like a very um, beloved and trusted and respected person horribly drunk and and not doing, you know, not behaving how you expect them to. I feel like I have seen Stephen Fry lose his temper. That's how kind of distressing this experience has been. My lovely, beautiful, historical village has just turned into carnage for the last week or so. But uh, today it finishes and we go back to back to normal, civilised coffee on the terrace and looking across the valley at the convent um, after today. So that's nice. So yes, today's topic is a very serious title, Finding Your Purpose. And I'm joking. I don't really think it's serious. I think it's exciting. I mean, it's serious, but (laughs) seriously exciting. Finding Your Purpose is a sticky idea for some. For some people, it puts a lot of pressure on them. And they, depending on your kind of motivation type, if you're quite rebellious, it can actually feel like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a purpose, I just want to live and I just want to be myself. And in the past, I used to support that. But my perspective on this has shifted a little. (laughs) By shift a little, it's like someone's pushed it off a cliff, right? It has really, really changed. I believe that finding your purpose and having it very clear so that you have something specific that you're working to is essential and it really gives our life meaning, it gives, it creates happiness, it gives us resilience when things get really really tough and it's one of those things where I I had that feeling um, because I'd experienced it myself and I'd seen it in my coaching clients and in my students But again, I've just been reading this book, which is called Be Your Future Self Now by Benjamin Hardy. And two things have happened when I've been reading this book. So the first is that he's a psychologist and he quotes a lot of research that backs up and it explains. So it just goes like another layer underneath so that while you know something works, this is why it works. And, and I, I really like that because that just helps my brain to understand, okay, yes, there is a, this isn't just me wanting something to be true. It's actually, it's true and this is why. The second thing is, in his book, he quotes and references tons and tons and tons and tons of other books, other coaches, psychologists, you know, absolutely loads of different people. And so... For any of you listening who have imposter syndrome and you have this idea that, well, I can't do something because it's already been done by other people, this guy's just done a book which basically is just collecting other people's work. And it's a great book and it's very, very useful. So 
Sometimes our job can just be to present and to select and to filter and to really get to the the nub, get to the nub, do we say that? Oh, I don't like that word. Um, get to the root, get to the heart of, you know, what's actually important and then to convey that information to somebody else. So do it. The idea that you've got, go after it. So with this idea of finding your purpose, there are two things that I want to kind of bring home to you or two ideas that I'd like to <laughs> deposit in your brain today. The first is this idea of future self, which is from Benjamin Hardy. And the idea is, or the theory, the research is, that we're not motivated by our past and the things that have happened to, pre to us previously, but actually we are instead pulled forward by our idea of ourselves in the future. And this idea has come up in various books. It's come up in Lost Connections, Johan Hari, where he looks at research connected to depression and anxiety, and how the clearer your idea was of your future self and your future, the, the more robust your mental health was. And how essential it is that we can see our future and we're working towards our future. And then there is also this idea of choosing language. So if you're hearing me use the word purpose and you don't like it, change it. You know, use something else. Talk about, you know, we used to say in the Life Atelier, find your think. You know, it can just be as light as that, as just finding your thing. What's your think? You know, what do you do? What do you, what do people know that you're interested in? What do people know that you're working towards? So don't feel that you have to stick with the language that I'm using if it doesn't click for you. Now, when we find our purpose, so the reason we find our purpose or the reason we want to define our purpose is for that motivation, for that happiness, for that contentment, for that resilience when stuff's happening to us talked in the last episode about coaching tools for when life punches you in the face. Well, in the book, Be Your Future Self Now, he talks about the experience of, I can't remember his first name, but it's his surname is Frankel. And I've just ordered his book as well. And he's a Jewish psychologist who survived the Holocaust. Um, just. <laughs> his family didn't survive. It's a really horrific story. But he's talking about this idea of hope and and how this purpose got him through that. So that's a really, really extreme example, um, but it's very powerful, definitely. So this is why it's important. Now, how do we actually find it? Well, I think very often it's presented to us as this kind of, you know, road to Damascus where you suddenly wake up one morning and you're like, ah, this is what I was put on this earth to do. And I don't think it's like that. I think maybe for some people it's like that, like you wake up and you always know that, you know, you 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 know that you're going to be a nurse or you, you've got this vocation or you're going to set up a foundation or you're going to make jewellery or you're going to be an artist, you know, maybe you know that. But for some of us, I think lots of life coaches like me, we have lots and lots and lots of interests and we're coaches because we realise that actually this is a way to you know make a career out of learning about other things and then helping other people connect to the ideas that will then change their life and you also have to I know for me to get to the point where I feel that I'm I know that I can help other people by coaching them 
I had to fuck up a lot. I had to really live and make lots of mistakes and then get myself out of those situations so that I can have empathy, so that I can say to somebody else, wherever you are right now, we can make it better and we can change this because I've had those same experiences and I know what it's like. I really know what it's like. <laughs> so if you're in, uh, you're at a rock, a rock bottom right now, there are always tools to get you out of it, okay? So sometimes discovering our purpose can be this slow and gradual experience where we're going through different things, we're having different life experiences, and then one day we realize, okay, I'm gonna change that, or I'm gonna do something about that. If that hasn't happened to you already, and it's very clear, it might be that you're multi-passionate, and in that situation, we start to look at, okay, what are your strengths? What are you good at? So for me, my strengths are ideas and motivating people. And so when I bring those two things together, if I look at my life as a teacher, I could use some of my strengths. I could definitely motivate people. Uh, the ideas part was kind of useful for being a teacher, but it was limited. There were definite limits around it because I was limited by what I could teach in that environment and there was a syllabus to follow, you know, there was a, there was a specific language I was teaching, so I, I was kind of limited within having to teach that specific language within the constraints of the language. When I'm coaching, I have no borders, I have no limits to my ideas and how I can communicate them. So in the past, I used my strengths a little, now I'm using them 100%. So for you, it's the same thing. Look at what are your strengths, where are they being limited right now? If you've got no idea what your strengths are, you can do two things. Number one, you can ask the people around you. Very often our strengths don't feel like strengths to us because they just do them. I had no idea that other people didn't have as many ideas as I have. I thought everybody had them. And actually to discover that that is a talent and that's an innate strength was kind of, yeah, it was still, I still find it surprising actually. Um, the second thing you can do is the Gallup Strengths Test. It's about, I think it's $50, but it is so worth it. It really is worth it because you'll be able to see on paper, okay, these are my strengths and my skills in order. And if you need a hand understanding it, you can email me, hello at emmalavelle.co. I'm not a certified strengths trainer or coach. You do have them, but I can at least point you in the right direction and explain a bit more or join my free community, The Society, and, and send me a DM in there, and I'll explain it to you. Okay, now, so we can look at our strengths, we can also look at our passions. So if you are passionate about the environment, if you're passionate about improving things, about systems, bloody hell, Notion. There are people now who've made entire businesses out of using Notion and setting up systems in Notion, which I just find amazing. There's a woman I listened to who has created a literally like million dollar business explaining Excel, which for me blows my mind because I don't, I, well, I'm not very um, comfortable. I'm not friends with Excel. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, so whatever it is that you're passionate about, there are other people who would benefit from that passion. Okay. So we look at our strengths, we look at our passions. The third thing I would suggest you look at 
is through the lens of Rutger Bregman's book, Utopia for Realists. So what is something that you know the world would be a better place if it could happen, but you feel like it's just absolutely impossible, nobody would be interested in this? This is the idea of utopia. And in his book, he gives lots of examples of things in the past that were considered to be utopia and now is just every day for us. Gay marriage, women voting, everybody being able to have access to food, more or less, in, you know, let's say in, in Europe or in the UK. So these things used to be absolute vaccines. You know, before vaccines existed, we just got ill and that was it. So what your idea today may be to some people as insanely unrealistic and you know, um, you're an idealist and it's never going to happen. Just have a look back at things that we take for granted today that were idealistic utopias in the past. And now start to think about what would the world look like if your idea became real in the future. And a very real example that I have of that is for me, I had this idea a few years ago of creating, you know, converting farmland space and turning that into animal sanctuaries. And I thought, well, oh, how would you even do it? It's impossible. And I, when I started to talk about it with a few people, they laughed at me. And now I can name at least five, including the Surge Sanctuary in England, where they are doing just that. Rewilding projects are gathering pace. So while I didn't try to do it because I thought it was impossible, other people got on with it and they've made it happen. So that's kind of... Um, yeah, kicking me up the bum to start putting some actual parameters and structure around my current impossible ideas. Now, why? Why should we have these impossible goals? So, Cara Lowenthal talks about this. I have my own impossible goal at the moment, which is, yeah, I'm smiling thinking about it. No, I don't know how I'm going to do it but I am excited by it. So Kara says that everybody should always have an impossible goal. She talks about it, Brooke Castillo in the Life Coach School talks about it, but an impossible goal is a goal that you set that is so big, you don't believe you can actually achieve it, but the journey to trying to achieve it is going to change you anyway. So an example I think she gives, or Brooke gives, I can't remember who, but is like, let's say that you were trying to get to the moon. and You didn't manage to get to the moon, but on the way, you invented aeroplanes. Is it still an amazing journey? Yes, it is, absolutely. So impossible goals are great to have just for the sheer joy of trying to do something epic and that transformation that you're going to experience just by doing it. Now, finally, so we've got the what and the why. Finally, the how. So when we start to define our purpose, we can think big picture. I think given the current climate of uh, instability in the world, a three-year impossible goal, a three-year purpose is pretty good because we believe that we'll see something, we'll be able to get some kind of result in the next three years. And that is more, it means we're more likely to take action than if we say something, you know, in 20 years or 10 years. 
because then, you know, well, I'll start it next year or I'll start it the year after that. So I think like three years or less is a good time. My big impossible goal is a three-year goal and then I've broken it down into three annual impossible goals. So those are three things that I have no idea how I'm going to achieve them, but I know the next few steps. So we start to give it a shape, start to write down your purpose. So I have a document and it's called Rose Rita Co. And at the very top, I'm looking at now at the very top, it says a day in the life as the founder of Rose Rita, which is my big impossible goal. And then I've written out how I spend my day. And I tweak it and I come back to it and I look at it every morning and I read it before I start my day and I make any changes. So it's a living document because as I start to take the action steps towards my impossible goal, I start to see that actually, no, I don't want this or yes, I want more of this. And, and I start to feel even like I've literally even got like the time that I have breakfast. Um, I've got who I'm talking to. I've got this idea of like, I've written 6 p.m. is apero time with family and staff. We have a mocktail in the orangery. I don't have an orangery. I don't have staff. <laughs> I don't even have a little family yet. Um, and we share what we're celebrating that day before going home for a family dinner outside whenever possible. So I'm really starting to put shape around those little moments in my day. And what that means is it then links with me today. So at 6 p.m. today, I will now have this little memory of, ah, this is when I take a break and I celebrate today. And so by the time my impossible goal is becoming physical, I'll already have those mental habits in place for them. So start to give it shape, whether that's writing a document or it's planning it out. I have been doing all of my planning on um, paper rather than digital because I'm giving my brain the best possible chance it has of, of using its full capacity, uh, really, really helps. The next thing is to set yourself up for success. So part of that for me is doing my planning on paper. And that has been a game changer for me. I find that even when I open my laptop, my brain is in a different place than when I'm just sitting by myself with a coffee and a beautiful notebook. The next thing you can do is really start to curate your social media as well. So start to create that environment virtually. And that might mean just deleting it. So I deleted Instagram off my phone a while ago. And what do you know? I'm not picking up my phone so often. Now, I am probably going to use Instagram just personally or as an experiment because I'm investigating social media free marketing. So what I might do is do one kind of 90 day challenge using social media and then one 90 day challenge with no social media at all so that I can compare the two and I will share that with you as well. But if you are using social media and you want to use social media, curate it. Create that environment of your purpose online because your brain doesn't know the difference between what it's seeing and what's actually it's actually physically experiencing. So you're training your brain to become the person who's going to create the purpose that you have. The other thing I would say is build in your treats, build in your rest. This is really hard and I will do an episode on this later, but just know that going after this isn't necessarily, in fact, it's not, it's not comfortable. I have been battling resting fully and properly and even had to Google how to rest. 
um, which I find incredible. And it reminded me of also like a couple of years ago, I Googled like how to play with a puppy. Because when I had my first dog, I realized I didn't know what kinds of games to play and I didn't know how to do these things. So if you've been in the working cycle or the looking after family members, looking after other people's cycle for a very long time, and you don't know how to rest, that's okay. We're going to learn this. So build in the rest, build in the treats. And finally, if you want to learn more about how to do this, you want to get support on implementing it, join the Minimalist Business Society. And I'm going to be putting different resources about how to do this, how to find your purpose and how to then achieve it over the next few months. And it would be lovely to see you. Okay, see you in the next episode.